0: Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care.
1: Well, let's uh, stand together. I want you to read uh, Jonah chapter 1. It should be up there. I'll get you started. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go ahead. Let's pray. Lord, we pray at this moment because to do what we are about to do, we need your help. I pray for myself that every word I speak would represent your grace and your glory well. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would break down the walls of our defensiveness the distraction of our minds, the fact that we can sit and think that someone else needs what we need to hear and open our hearts to the good things that you have for us. May we leave this place saying God has been with us and it's been a very good thing. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to consider with you this morning three of the most important words that could ever be written. These three words have the power to change you and everything about you. These are words of rescue and love and restoration, although they won't feel like it. These are words that will mess with your life. Because God knows better than we do. These words will break you down and build you up again. You have to ask yourself the question, why in the world is Jonah in the Bible? It's not really a prophet. There's almost no prophecy whatsoever in the 48 verses of Jonah. It's this weird story about this prophet who runs away from God and gets swallowed up by a fish. Why would God retain this weird, quirky, counterintuitive story for us? Well, I'm deeply persuaded that Jonah is in the Bible for two reasons. Here's the first one. Jonah is an entire biblical worldview in a podcast. It has it all. Jonah presents to us a God of glorious, incalculable grace. Jonah presents to us a world that's terribly broken by sin. Jonah presents to us awesome, beautiful, rescuing, restoring, empowering grace. Jonah confronts us with the fact that we were all created to live for something bigger than ourselves. That's all the principal pieces of a biblical worldview are in Jonah in a podcast. You should live in Jonah. But I think there's something else. I think Jonah's in the Bible because we need our definition of what grace looks like expanded we need a greater, wider, deeper understanding of how grace operates in our lives. I hear people all the time crying out, where is the grace of God in my life? And they're getting it. But it's not a cool drink, and it's not a soft pedal. It's not release. It's not relief. And because of this narrow definition of grace, We doubt the goodness of God when we are being bathed in the goodness of God. Because our definition of His mercy is too small. Well, you know the story. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach His message. And Jonah runs in the other direction. If you had Jonah's understanding of geography... This man is going to the other end of the world. He's trying to get as far as he could from God. And I would say to you, don't be too hard on Jonah. What God calls Jonah to to do is hard. This is a country boy who's called to go to a big city. He's called to go to a culture he does not understand. He's called to face some ethnic prejudice that's inside of him. He's called to preach the kind of message that no one wants to hear. It's a message of judgment. You didn't wake up this morning saying, God, if I could just hear a message of judgment one more time, I'd feel so loved. (laughs) Don't be too hard on Jonah. I think there are ways in which everyone in this room runs from God. Because running is seldom a matter of location. If you use your mouth to communicate your anger and not God's grace, you are running from God. If you treat your relationships as if they belong to you and not to God, you're running from God. If you think the purpose of your money is your pleasure and not to be part of God's generosity mission on earth, you're running from God. If you go places with your eyes and with your mind and with your heart that you have no business going because they pollute your soul, you know who I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You're running from God. Maybe you ought to open your heart this morning and fire your inner lawyer and say, could it be that even though I'm here on Sunday morning, I'm running from God? running from God is an act of spiritual insanity. You know that you know. You know that Jonah is insane when he thinks he can escape God's presence. There is no location in all of the universe that you can be that is not under the presence of God. There's nowhere that you can go that God's eyes aren't on you. You will never escape God's presence. You know you're in a midst of spiritual insanity when you're telling yourself things that God says are wrong will turn out okay. Lust will not turn out okay. Selfishness will not turn out okay. Racism will not turn out okay. Living for yourself will not turn out okay. Okay deifying your pleasure over the glory of God will not turn out okay. It will not turn out okay. It will not turn out okay. It will not turn out okay. okay. Any moment where for a moment you and I are able to believe that we're smarter than God, that our way is better than God, that we know more than God, that our rules are wiser than God, we are in a moment of sad, destructive Debilitating spiritual insanity. Maybe we're more insane than we think we are. I will say this there are moments where there's insanity in this man. Where I forget God, I forget his call, and I do what I do regardless of what he says because I want what I want. If you're up in the face of someone so close that they can feel your breath and you're expressing your anger against that person with words they should never hear, you're not doing that because you're ignorant of the fact that that's wrong. You're doing that because at that moment you don't care what is wrong. You're running from God. I am afraid, brothers and sisters, that we read these passages of Scripture and we separate ourselves from the Jonahs And when you have that self righteous response, you will miss the whole glory of what follows. You only ever will seek and celebrate the good news of God's grace if you'll receive the horrible bad news of your own sin. The bad news always sets you up for the good news. And every time you minimize your sin, you devalue God's grace. It's impossible not to minimize sin and rob grace of its value. Maybe this is in the Bible because there's a whole lot of Jonah in all of us. This is not meant to be some weird story that you can divorce yourself for. from. This is meant to be a mirror in which you look and you see yourself and you say, God, please deliver me from the Jonah that is me. Please reveal to me the places where I run from you. Please rescue me. God forbid that a response would be, I'm glad I'm not like Jonah. Well, what happens next is those three words. I love these three words. It is the distinct honor of my life that I can spend my life unpacking these three words but the Lord. It is the power and the glory and the grace of the divine interruption. I have, to, I have to be honest with you. If I was the person in charge, Jonah would have been a short book. <laughs> Three verses. You run from me, you're done. <laughs> like, I got plenty of prophets. You know, it's like if there's a want for prophets, you go, I'll just get another prophet. I'm the Lord. That was more transparent than I wanted it to be. (laughs) But that's not our Lord. There'd have been, there would have been no covenant promises but the Lord. There'd have been no redemption from from Egypt but the Lord. There'd have been no law given but the Lord. There would have been no manna but the Lord. There would have been no promised land but the Lord. There would have been no defeat of the nations but the Lord. There'd have been no temple but the Lord. There'd have been no prophets but the Lord. There would have been no incarnation but the Lord. There'd have been no cross but the Lord. There'd have been no resurrection but the Lord. There'd have been no church but the Lord. There'd be no Scripture but the Lord. No one would be in this room but the Lord. Now, that all sounds nice, but you've got to read what follows, but the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest, storm. But the Lord, God will trouble you. God will send winds that you don't want in your life. God will send storms so big they freak out seasoned sailors. That's what the passage says. These guys in the middle of a storm all of a sudden became deists. They all became theologians. They were so scared. They say that there's no atheists in a sinking ship. God will bring hardship your way. He'll bring disappointment your way. He'll bring suffering your way. He'll bring loss your way. Not because He hates you. Not because He's condemning you. But because He's reaching His hands of grace down to you. And yanking your life in a different, more glorious direction. It's grace. Perhaps what you're facing now is not just the result of living in a fallen world. Perhaps what you're facing now is not just the result of the attack of the enemy. Perhaps what you're facing now that is hard and unthinkable is your personal but the Lord. God interrupted this man's life. But it wasn't a gentle hand. It wasn't a whisper in his ear. It was a storm. Where is God troubling you to rescue you, to restore you, to mature you so that you find his way more beautiful than your way. Yeah. But the Lord. Well, as I've said, these guys are freaking out. They're trying to figure out what's going on here. They, they find Jonah in the bottom of the boat, sleeping. Can, can you believe it? Sleeping. And they finally decide they're going to cast lots to figure out Who's at fault for this storm? These guys are just trying anything. And the lot falls on Jonah. And they ask Jonah, like, who are you? Where are you from? Help us out here. It's very, very important to understand that the words of scripture, the very words of scripture are ordained by God. There's a specificity in those words and the retained for our good. And sometimes I think as we get caught up in these stories, we, we miss the dynamism of specific phraseology here. Notice, notice Jonah's response. I'm gonna read it here. I'm reading the ESV. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. I think it says up there worship, I think fear is actually a better translation. I am a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Does anything sound weird about that to you? You ought to be thinking, this is strange, this is weird. This is not a man who's acting like he fears the Lord. What is this man talking about? And I believe the reason that this is retained for us, is to help us to begin to understand and confess the potential gap between our confessional theology and our street-level functional theology. It's possible in your confessional theological outline to be a God-fearer and on Tuesday act like you have no fear of God inside of you. It's possible to say you believe in the sovereignty of God and you live in fear and panic and timidity all the time. It's possible for you to confess that you've been bought with a price and to act like your life still belongs to you. The gap between your confessional theology and your functional theology is a workroom for the enemy. I'm about to say something surprising to you, but it needs to be said. That your enemy of your soul will give you your formal theology if he can capture your heart. Theology is never an end in itself. Theology is a means to an end. And the end is a transformed, holy, God-surrendered life. That's the goal of theology. I'm afraid that in the evangelical church, we allow ourselves big theological brains and diseased hearts. And it's hurting us. Listen, if that gap was closed between our confessional theology and our functional theology, the church of Jesus Christ would be an unstoppable giant. It's robbing us of our power. The statistics say that 80% of the money given in Christ's church is given by 20% of the people. More shockingly, one of the latest stats said that 10% of people who regularly attend church never have ever put a dime in the plate. We don't want for resources, we want for surrender. This upsets me. It upsets me for me, because I know no one in this room could be honest without saying that gap still exists places in my life. Lord, may my life be an example of what I believe. The biblical truth is, if you don't live your belief, you don't actually believe it. Well, they don't want to, but Jonah convinces them to. They throw Jonah into that raging sea. And I love this. And the Lord appointed a great fish. Don't you love that phrase? You are, you are meant to just have your mind blown at the specificity of the extent of the sovereignty of God. God is not just generally sovereign over his world, he's sovereign over every individual thing that he created. If the Lord wants to call a fish into a service, he can call a fish into his service. You're gonna have to fight with your mechanical, scientific brain that has a mechanical view of the universe and submit yourself to the way scripture thinks about how the universe functions. It functions by the command of the one who created it. It's amazing. Now here's why this is important. I wanna make a connection for you that I don't think is made enough. The reliability of God's promises of grace it are only as great as the extent of His sovereignty. The reliability of God's promises of grace are only as great as the extent of His sovereignty. You can only guarantee the delivery of something in situations over which you have control. Right? I can guarantee things in my loft at eleven, at 1027 Art Street because I live there and I own the place. But I can't down the street because I have no presence, authority, or ownership there. So you cannot divide out God's grace and His sovereignty. Because the operation of His grace is dependent on the absolute and specific nature of His sovereignty. Does that make sense? Now, let me take this further. Because God is sovereign over everything, He can use anything to get us. Isn't that great? He has got a toolbox the size of the universe. Because everything in the universe is a potential tool of His grace because He rules it all. Your wimpy amens right now are just not enough. Sorry. That was the most bored amen I've ever heard. I just gave you a glorious picture of the sovereignty of God and you said, "Eh?" Here's what I heard. Amen. <laughs> wow. Now, I love, I love where this goes because it's just so incredibly helpful. Now we get to eavesdrop on a private conversation between Jonah and the Lord in the belly of the fish. I... I don't know about you but I'm a visual person. I always get a bit distracted thinking what was it like? How sticky was this man? <laughs> what fluids? <laughs> no. And and you you were confronted with another thing that operates in us. I I love how you see the turning of Jonah's heart in this prayer. Because notice how he begins. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Distress? What a euphemistic way of talking about what's going on. This is not distress. This is rebellion. Distress is a hurricane. Distress is a loss of a job. This is not distress. This mess is the direct result of rebelling against the call of the Lord. This is disobedience. Don't pray self-excusing prayers of confession. Jesus died for your sin so you could stop taking yourself off the hook. Stop it. When someone asks you how your week was, this is the body of Christ. We can be honest because nothing could ever be revealed about us if that's covered by the blood of Jesus. Oh, yeah. Don't say the problems were many, but the Lord was faithful. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of dumb response is that? Say I had bad attitudes all week. Would you pray for me? I need help. It's been a big struggle for me. Or I'm... No, be honest. When you pray, be honest to God. I love what it says in Hosea 14. It's it's a call to repentance. And God says, bring words with you. And then he says, make your lips like bowls. He's saying instead of the sacrifice of a calf, give me your words, give me your confession. It is actually easier to kill an animal than it is to kill your defensive heart and come to God. He says, I don't want your sacrifices, I want you to bring words, lay words on my altar. And you know what the direct Hebrew translation for words is? Oh, I love this even more, reality. If you were to translate that into a a single word in English, he says, bring what is real to me. Bring real. Do you bring real to your Lord? You don't pray, Lord, help me, I'm having problems in my marriage. What does that mean? Like you drove with your wife into some kind of problem? Confess. The Lord is not surprised. There's nothing you ever confess that shocks Him. He sees your heart already. By the end of this prayer, Jonah is confessing to idolatry. Listen, that turn can only happen by the power of grace. Well, the end of chapter 2 is this way. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up upon the dry land. You're going to hear it here for the first time, but you will remember it the rest of your life. Sometimes grace looks like vomit. (laughs) I have biblical proof. Don't get mad at me. God ordained this to be written. I am deeply persuaded that we don't, we have trouble thinking that bad, ugly, stinky, repulsive things could be grace. Listen, what could be more horrible? Than the crucifixion of the one perfect man who ever lived. What could be uglier and hard to watch. Than driving those nails into his hands. Than jamming that crown of thorns down on him. It's an ugly, repulsive, horrible thing. What could be better than the cross? The cross argues that God can take the worst things ever. And out of them produce the best things ever. This moment, this vomitous moment, is a finger pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ where the darkest, ugliest, most horrible thing, if you had to watch it on your television, you'd turn it off and you'd say, I can't watch this. It's horrible. It's bloody. It's awful. It's the most glorious, wonderful thing that ever happened in human history. God takes the darkest things ever to produce the best things ever. Don't limit the creativity of your master as he moves towards you in grace. I wish we had a couple more days. Well, chapter 3, the beginning. We've got to move on here. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Oh, I love that too. I love that, I love that, I love that. Listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the whole move of the biblical narrative is a story of fresh starts and new beginnings. You're not cursed to your track record. You're not cursed to your darkest moment. You're not cursed to your most foolish act. You're not cursed to your dumbest decisions. Grace offers you fresh starts and new beginnings. And it's impossible to outrun that grace and it's possible to send yourself beyond the reach of the arms of grace. Now I think this is my human way of thinking if God had just spit him back up on on the shore and said, you'll never be a prophet again but I've preserved your life, go. That would have been glorious grace. But the fact that God continues to use this recalcitrant man is grace I can't wrap words around. And Jonah goes, he doesn't want to go. Doesn't want to preach, but he does. And that preaching is in in view with God's power and an entire city from the greatest to the least repents. Here's the message. God's not shopping for extraordinary people so he can use them. You want to know why? There aren't any. (laughs) The shelves are bare. Everyone is ordinary. Everyone is broken. Everyone. There are no human heroes in this book. Check their biographies. They're all broken. There's one hero, the Lord Almighty. Don't walk around with low spiritual self-esteem. Don't walk around limiting the way God can use you. He's not looking for supermen. Listen, the scripture teaches us, it's not our weakness that's in the way of what God can do. It's our delusions of strength that are. Come to him in weakness and watch what he will do. If God can use Jonah, there's hope for everybody in this room. Well, you would think after that, Jonah would have gotten the point. But he's like us. And he ends up mad at God. And he says, I I just knew if I preached that message, you're a God of grace and you'd forgive these people. That makes me so mad. (laughs) Listen, I want to challenge you again. Don't think that everyone in your life, you would like to be graced. There are people in your life, you may want them to get theirs. So, we're like Jonah. We're not always excited with God's mercy. We are for us. <laughs> but maybe not for others. And Jonah's outside the city pouting. And God's grown a plant there that he can get shade from. And in the whole, the whole 48 verses, the only time this man is happy is when he's getting shade. Amazing. And this is, this is the most incredible definition of the sovereignty of God I think that you have in Scripture. It says the Lord appoints a worm. A Lord appoints a worm. I mean, how many worms are there? Okay, worm, 536,337,423,674, go eat that plant. Yes, sir. Listen. God is sovereign over every microbe of his creation. And the worm eats the plant. Jonah's angry again. And God comes to Jonah and he says, Jonah, you're angry about the death of this plant. You're exercised about this. Should I not be exercised about the 120,000 souls in Nineveh? I love how it says, and cattle. <laughs> I want to I get you to think about two things as we end. The concerns that make you emotional in your life, the ones that did last week, the ones that were this week, are they God's concerns? Are the things upset you the things that would upset God? How much is your concern God oriented or self oriented? Perhaps you're more upset in traffic by the people in front of you than you are with the impatience of your heart that is revealed in the traffic. God did not share your concern in that moment. You're in a different plane. But here's what I love about this. The thing that I love most about the gospel according to Jonah that's what I like like to call the book is a book without an end Jonah doesn't have an end Jonah ends with a question you know why? because this God of rescuing grace is still at work after all of the selfishness of this man after all of his running after his accusation against the character of God after his pouting and questioning God's goodness. God is not zapping him with lightning. He's not condemning him to hell. He's asking a question to reveal his heart once again so Jonah would turn toward God once again. You can not exhaust your Redeemer. He will never quit. He will never walk away in disgust. He will never turn his back. Jesus was willing to have God turn his back on him so you and I would never again see the back of God's head. That last question is inexhaustible grace. You can't exhaust this grace. I, I, I read through Jonah and there's so many places where I'd have to honestly say I would have been done. Enough already. You see, your hope is not in your theological knowledge. Your hope is not in the depth of your faith. Your hope is not in the degree of your ministry exercise. Because none of those things would ever be possible apart from the one thing that is your hope. It's this God of inexhaustible grace. You're not saved by your faith. I'm sorry. It's true. You're saved by grace because without grace you would not be able to exercise that faith. Don't take credit for what only God could do. And rest in His grace. Brothers and sisters, I wanna ask you this morning, where are you running from God? Where do you think you know better? Where is your concern, the concerns that engage you and motivate you and command your emotions different than God's concerns? Where are you devaluing Uh, minimizing your sin and that way devaluing grace where is there a gap between your confessional theology and your functional theology I want to ask you to do something you say Paul I think I've seen some of myself this morning I think there are places where I'm running from God I think there's places where there's this gap between my confessional theology and my functional theology I think there's sometimes there are things that engage me that are God's concern would you just stand to stand, and we want to pray for you. Larry, I'm going to ask you to come up and pray. Would you come up and pray? Let's pray this morning that God would once, and, once, once again greet us with that inexhaustible grace. Let's pray.
2: Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your good word. We are thankful and grateful today that you expose us. Lord, you haven't allowed us to simply hide. But even today in this room, by your spirit, by your word, through your servant, you have unearthed realities that we wanted to keep hidden, but you wouldn't let them stay hidden. You know about us what no one else in the world knows about us. You know the hidden sins of our hearts. The things that we harbor, the things that we dwell upon, the things that sometimes consume us. You know our selfishness, our greed, our lusts, our hatred, our envy. You know all of those things, oh God that are in us, that are not like you, and that you want to purge from our lives. We thank you that you don't throw us out when we fail, or when we fail again, or when we fail again. But you pursue us in a way, oh God, that proves that you are sovereign and you are love. The God who is sovereign is the God who is love. And you come to us again and again and again and grace us. And love us. Oh God. May we not take that for granted. May we not be those who say with our lips. I fear God. And yet continue to live the same way. To think the same way. To harbor the same things. And not bring them before you. And say God help me. Jesus change me. Lord we want to be. More and more in your image and likeness, because no matter how bad our sin is, no matter how unlike you we are, you have a glorious purpose to mold us and shape us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Do that, Lord. Glorify your name through us, broken men and broken women to the praise and the glory of your great name. Amen and amen.
0: Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.